0: I hope you can bear with a Swedish accent for a little bit. I can, unfortunately, not change to any other accent. Um, the other day someone asked me what time it was, and I said 10 to 10, and they didn't understand. And then finally, they just repeated, say, oh, 10 to 10." Or why? Well, no, that was a very bad imitation of a reverse Southern accent, anyway. And I uh, supposedly didn't say 10 correctly. If you know, if you know. Maybe you don't understand even what I'm saying, but they didn't understand what time it was when I told them anyway. Well, so I really want to thank you guys for standing with us for this for our ministry in Spain and, and what we feel God is doing there. So, and uh, it's really special to be here and to see how God is moving, not only what we see over on that side, we see God moving over here in your midst too, because we, I, when I was here... A year and a half ago, there were two people leading worship. And now I see this worship band is expanding and, and I see more people here too sitting. So I, I think it's exciting to see that, that there are, there's a growing interest and, in, and to see people coming together and just uh, studying the word committed to that. When you're a missionary too, and being from Sweden and having lived in the states for a year and a half, it's not that long of a time, but, but, uh, you learn certain cultural differences. And one of the things I learned when I came over here, someone taught me that if you get nervous, there's an American trick to it. You think of your audience naked. Um, and I don't know about the American culture, but that does not help the Swede. To think of that people suddenly would... Uh, that does not make me less nervous or more comfortable in the setting. So I think I just uh, just stick to where we're here, that we're here in real time. I think that'll be fine with me. There is a, a typical passage that I hear often when missionaries speak. It's in Matthew 28. Did any children leave, by the way? Or did, they all want to hear the Swedish accent. Maybe. They didn't understand. <laughs> In Matthew 28, there's a, a passage that we often hear in missions, sermons, missions, contexts. And uh, the last verses of Matthew 28, I'm just going to read them quickly. Uh, that's not going to be my main text, but in case somebody can recall them, they go like this. Matthew 28, verse 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to serve all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the earth. To the end of the age, excuse me. And um, I was over at the missions conference in Azusa. Uh, uh, over in California. And the preacher was talking, the speaker, he was talking to a young crowd, and he was talking about how last time he had spoken on these verses. And he came and he was going to speak on them again, supposedly. And he told the story of how a couple of weeks back he had come to speak in a, in a seminary or a school. I'm not sure which one it was, but he spoke in a setting of students and as he read these verses and afterwards preached on them, a student later came up to him afterwards and says, "Well, do you do you know that um, last time you were here, you actually spoke on the same verses?" And this man he reacted. He, he told us that his response was, "Well, they haven't written any new verses yet." So, so uh, I put a few in the end of my Bible here, and uh, no, I didn't didn't actually do that, but. Um, but it did make me think, it did really make me think that um, when we think of missions, are there only two verses? Do we, do we actually think like that? Or is that what if we missionaries, which I don't think even this man really believe, that to convey missions, there are only two verses in the whole Bible that, that speaks of missions. Because if there are only two verses in the whole Bible, uh, you know, it's we, we invest a whole lot in, in missions. And uh, it's very interesting then to start thinking, well, what is it that we communicate? For me, it was the issue of, well, what do I communicate? Is that what I communicate as a missionary to everybody? That every time I'm going to speak on missions, I pull out these two verses and say these two verses and and that's it? And if you if I start speaking so fast or weird that with my accent that it's hard to understand, you start waving or something and I'll try to slow down. But for me, I believe that there is a pattern in the Bible that we can find. And uh, I wanted to, to look through and with the example of, of Moses' experience. And this pattern, later one can even see, you will see this, and I will mention it a little bit, that, that you will see that it, missions is much more deeper. It goes much deeper than just a couple of verses at the end, towards the end of Jesus' time on earth. He threw char- out this charge. The whole basis of missions goes way back. And uh, if we start reading in this uh, passage of Moses, we will re- start to experience a little bit the nature of God as a God who sends and saves. And realizing that mission is really God's heart's desire. It's, it's something that, that he desired for us to, to act out on earth. It's the only thing that's, that we have. We... It's not eternal. Missions is not eternal. It's the only thing we do here on earth. But we're not going to do in heaven. We can worship. We can adore God when we get to eternally. But missions is not eternal. Our missions outreach is something that isn't God's heart for us to do while we're active here on earth. And we, we realize here that, that he delivered Israel out of Egypt through Moses. Using Moses for this. And this... Del- This uh, experience of deliverance for Israel was something that really shaped their identity as a nation. They keep on coming back to this, and and this is where you will see, you come back and and look at the the different prophets when they write, and they all come back referring to this, that the judges, it's the deliverance that that happens for the, the Israelites. This is something that really shaped the identity of their nation, because they were delivered by God. And this God is a God of deliverance. He sent somebody to save this nation. Not that that person would say, we'll get in. But, so Moses, he was a missionary of deliverance. And so we come here to this setting where Moses have had the experience of the burning bush. He hears God talking. It's pretty, pretty, you know, it's direct. I wish that God would sometimes speak like that to me. Just put a bush or a car or something on fire and and start talking to me and uh, it would be just completely clear where he wanted me to go. But he's used other things and made it completely clear where he wants me to be right now. I don't always prefer being in Basque country in Spain, to be honest. It's very tough. It's, uh, but I'm peaceful that that's where God wants me to be. And I prefer being there because God wants me there. But if I look at comfort, I really don't prefer being there. But with those two, comfort or God, I choose God. Try to, every day, choose God. So here we see um, Moses being sent off, and he's sent off to be a um, messenger to deliver the the Israelites. So he's actually not the guy delivering them. That's another thing that would come out. He's a messenger of God's deliverance. And the following will really indicate that more. When we start looking at Moses arguing with God... Which for me isn't, I think it's just great, because it's a great example of how I many times feel. Feel I, I feel like, you know, God puts this burden on you. You really sense that he wants you to do this, and you start maybe coming up with excuses. So, so you heard this leading up, and in, in Exodus 3, verse 11. Sorry, I have one of your pew Bibles, so sometimes I have to look a little more. You know, your own Bible, you have little notes and you sort of just find it naturally. So Moses responds to when God sends him off. In verse 10, God sends him off. He says, Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people and the children of Israel, Israel out of Egypt. And Moses' first response is, as we read earlier, he says to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And God has a clear and simple response to Moses. It says, I am with you. Because Moses is focusing. He says, but who am I to go? And God says, well, I'm, I'm going to be there. I didn't, I'm not talking about who you are. I'm saying you go and I'll deliver. I'll be with you. It's not, it's not your power. And it, this arguing of Moses goes on in verse 13 when God has responded. Moses says, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God God just looks at him and he says to Moses, I am who I am. And he goes on arguing, saying just that, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And and then he moves on in verse eighteen in chapter three he says and they will listen to your voice and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him then he goes on what he should say to him. Once again indicating that I am doesn't matter really what Moses can come up with. He can come up with an argument to these people because God says I am who I am and I am this God that these people have experienced already. The God of Abraham, Isaac and and um, Jacob, that these people know from their own history, this is the God I am. Don't try to narrow me down to a box, put me in a box with some some other of your idol's name or whatever. This is the God I am, the God of history. And they will listen to you, he says. Moses wondering about, but what should I tell them if they, if they ask me what your name is and they won't listen to me? And they will listen to, him, to you, he says, and Moses goes on. He doesn't give up. He's like, well, God, come on. So in in chapter 4, verse 1, Moses come up with his third argument to God, saying, well, you know. Then Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. Again, even though God has just before answered and said, "And they will listen to you," He comes back around and says, "But the, what if they won't listen to me? God, they, maybe they won't listen to me after all." And um, and God shows him the miracle. You know, put put his he throws his staff down; it turns him into a snake. He puts his hand in; it turns lepers. He puts it in again; it turns, and it's healed. And and God says. And if the, these miracles are not enough, God says, I'll do more. And he'll, he'll, he keeps on showing Moses that, that this is a work of God. I am not asking you to, in your power, go over and save these people. Look at the equipment you have. It's the equipment that I am with you. And he shows these miracles to, to Moses, who still, after those miracles... You're starting to think, you know, when, when we read the Bible many times, we really wonder how, how slow people seem. But then when I look at my own life, I realize that, well, you know, if I summarized my own last few years, maybe I would seem pretty slow myself. So, so, we need to be careful to judging them, I guess. But these are great examples for us too, to realize that these are real life examples. The Bible doesn't, you know, cover it up, but this is, this is real. This is God working in the life of people. Imperfect people, but empowered by him. When Moses keeps on that argument number 4 he comes up with in, in verse 10 in chapter 4. Exodus chapter 4 verse 10. But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant. But I am slow of speech and of tongue. And then the Lord, we, keep, we can see the Lord's response right there. Then verse 11. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made the man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. God is really responding saying, Moses is coming up with his next argument saying, You know, I'm not really a speaker either. You know, it's the sales guy over in the corner. Selling the the cattle over there, maybe he's would be a better person. You know, he's a smooth talker and he can get people to buy the cows. And Moses saying, you know, look at me, I, I can't even talk normal. And God comes down again saying, well, who made your mouth? I made your mouth. Can I not give you words to speak? And Moses keep on focusing. On himself, throughout all these arguments, even to, that at the end, I don't know if it's even an argument, but in, in uh, verse 13, I think Moses is sort of running out of any arguments he can come up with, and he just pleads. But he said, oh my Lord, please send someone else. And he just, okay, I I can't even think of another argument, but just, just send someone else. This is This is not my thing, I'm just so unfitted for this. This is too big for me. I don't have the tools to do this. I'm not perfect for this task. And God actually gets angry. It says in, in following verse, verse 14, then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And it's in, with that anger finally God, and in that anger God says, okay, I'll give you your brother Aaron. If that's what it takes for you, I'll give you your brother Aaron. He's on his way already and he, I guess God had it all set up. He was already on his way, and he got paired up with his brother Aaron and to to support him through the process. But God didn't take it off of Moses, the responsibility of going, and that he was going to be the one speaking to the authorities. But he did send him Aaron to sort of you know, stand by his side, maybe, and help him talk if God didn't give him the words, as he was very worried about. And this is, I think... For me this argument that Moses has it's very it's a picture of the typical argument that I many times might end up with, with God if there's something I feel very insufficient in doing I start looking at all my human resources and how powerless I am before this task that's ahead because isn't that typical for us we talk about uh, the superhero people that, that can achieve this and that and they can, uh, run great ministries while still being super parents and, and have a business on the side and, and I don't know what people do but, but it just sometimes seems, seems like a dream to me. And I'm standing there thinking, well, you know, I'm over there in Basque Country sometimes and I'm thinking these people don't want to hear the word of God very eagerly. And, and I'm not, you know, I don't, I don't even speak Basque. And I don't, I don't necessarily look like them either because, you know, I got blue eyes. They are all brown, nine, and, and, there are a lot of things. I got more four kids. I'm like, I, you know, I, it's a lot of work just to travel with four kids and to settle down in a place and, and God, what, what is this all about? Uh, I'll do better in a bank office or something than I'll do over here, you know, teaching. And, and I've had, I've had these arguments myself with God sometimes, saying, God, what can't we do? But it all comes down to that God's equipment and God saying, this is not your task. This is my task. I am sending you as a messenger of deliverance. But the deliverer is God. This is not about me. It's not about you. It's not even about them over there in, in the Basque country or them over there downtown or whatever group we're focusing on. This is about God. It's a God that's, that's a deliverer. And he sends us out to be the, those messengers of deliver, deliverance. But in the end, it is God's power that makes this. And then God sent Moses to Israel, and he delivered and saved Israel. But we always see that even though God sent Moses, it was always God's work. And this is an example for me, a great example of already early on, the scripture you can see a clear example of this mission is God's heart to decide. We see him sending and saving people. Even earlier than this, and Abraham, he said. But you can see as you will start, if you started reading scripture, with some of this in your perspective, you'll also find other instances where you realize that, that to find that mission is, is something that God wants for people, or that, that he has called us to, in order to bring the gospel out. Not just missions in another country. You have to remember that. I'm not saying, just talking about Basque Country, Spain. I'm talking about Wilmington, North Carolina. Mission is bigger than that. Mission is going out, reaching to the people that do not have the word in their heart don 't have a relationship with jesus christ that's what mission is about and and that bigger mission starts off early on in the bible and when we to we even see it closing up in in the new Testament because we see that that God sent yeah, his only son and uh, his only son was a missionary in john twenty twenty one we see jesus having been on Earth and he's passing on the tour. In John Gospel of John chapter twenty, verse twenty one, it says Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. God sent Jesus to be the deliverer for us. He even was the deliverer. His case was special. But he passes on. He says, the way I sent you, I am now, the way God sent me, I am now sending you out. God incarnated in his Son on earth. God can now incarnate. His Holy Spirit is living in each one of us. And we are sent out to incarnate God's word, God's presence among the people. And with that presence, we show the love and we show compassion to people. And we realize that that can start speaking. And we take them back to... To the Word of God, showing them what what it is that has shaped our lives. And, but this is this is where we see that that the God is a God that sends and saves. Mission is God's heart's desire. And some of the implications of this then that if mission is of God, we can't abort it there have been people trying to abort missions from their from their church programs in or but but it's uh, god's nature brings missions to be and the mission becomes an outpouring of god's own heart in our in our community that's uh in our community as a ch- in the church in the church body it's a uh, it's something we need to do it's an expression we can't abort that we also realize An implication that if this is God's mission, we realize that I am not sent on my own mission. Moses was not sent on a mission mission of Moses. He was sent on a mission of God. And uh, when it's God's mission, he will equip you for what he is sending you into. Moses didn't feel equipped before, but he didn't, didn't need to be fully equipped before either when he got the because he was called into that and God was starting to prepare him i believe though that he was probably more prepared than he had realized moses because he did grow up in the palace and he was trained out in the desert for quite a few years and i think that that um, a lot of those experiences really shaped him more than he wanted to admit maybe than he could at that point admit and maybe we sometimes haven't realized this uh it's like the movie that many years ago came out, Karate Kid, maybe there's some people who don't even know the movie, I don't know. <laughs> the Karate Kid movie when he's having to wash cars, he's having to paint, his little, this guy training him, he's making do all this work and he's getting upset because he came, he wanted training. And it turns out that one day that all this physical work he was doing was all preparing him Four different movements and training in, in, this, in karate. And sometimes I think our life can be like that. We go through things that we just don't understand. But God, why are you putting this upon me? Why do I have to experience this? Why do I have to do this? So why do I have to be here? But it's God preparing and equipping us. Because we know he has our life. He has a plan for our life. And we need to just submit our life into that plan. And, and accept his calling. And we know that he will equip us. And sometimes might have equipped us more than we realize to. I think it's also another implication. Following the lead of God's own heart means sacrifice. I'm not following my own heart anymore. I am following God's heart's desire, not my heart's desire. The implicate that I need to sometimes be willing to give up my dream of the job I had preferred, the house I had preferred, the car I had preferred, or whatever it could be. There are a lot of things that we need to sacrifice. Or the time I had preferred to spend hanging out or watching TV. Sometimes there's a time to sacrificially give that up to serve God. Sometimes in a bigger, to a bigger extent than other times maybe. We, I think each person need to, need to make this, uh, that decision in their life. But there are, there are sacrifices involved to following God. It's not a, it's not a comfort route where I just do what I feel like all the time. And it really starts by giving yourself as a living sacrifice, as Romans 12, verses 1 through 3 says, you give your life as a living sacrifice. When we do that, we do that first sacrifice to God, we will continuously have to then carry the cross. And carrying the cross means that you nail up things every now and then on that cross. You daily take it up and you realize, Christ is serving you, not serving me. This is about you, God. And I want to be following your will. The great thing also, with that this is God's mission, it also has an ending that is pointed out in scripture. The horizon points to victory. We can be really discouraged sometimes in situations. We can think that this is not going anywhere or, or this is not happening and sometimes messen- messengers will always fail and they, and they will, People will reject the message. But what's on God's heart will prevail. We know that that we need to just be faithful, and God will raise up new people. He's not dependent on one person to do his his work. God will always raise up new people for things, even when people fail. We can't feel like we are, without me, God wouldn't be able to do anything. But at the same time, we have to realize that God wants me. To serve Him. He's waiting and desiring me and you to serve Him. But He will always raise people up. So even if I fail, if I'm not good at what I'm doing, in my eyes, and I feel like I'm failing, I still know that in the end, it's God's victory. I might not see it uh, right there on the spot. I might not feel it. But we see the in Hebrews 11, speaking of the people of faith, they saw what was ahead and they never they never even got to experience it but they they kept on looking ahead at what was to come because God had put that that was real faith when they took steps they acted in faith even though they had never seen it and they would maybe never in their life see it they kept on moving forward towards that goal that they knew was God given so when we get involved then in God's mission we start taking steps we always have different motives. I mean, we start looking at, well, why am I not doing this? Okay, I, I, uh, I and some people they might desire uh, to help people physically. And I think it's it's a very biblical thing to have compassion on the poor and the needy. But when we look at at motives, we have to realize that there are secondary motives, but then there's some fundamental motives. And the desire to help people physically shouldn't be our primary or fundamental motive to get involved in God's mission. Because God's heartbeats beat with eternal heartbeats. He has a desire to see life transformed for eternal, eternity. Again, it doesn't mean that it's, it's unbiblical to help people physically. No, it's biblical. We're called to do it. But we're not called to have that as our motive because it makes, because I feel like it. I, I want to help people and it makes me feel good to help people. That's the wrong motive. Or when I got involved with a mission ship that I, where I first was involved in ministry, a lot of people talked about, well this is a great experience and it will deepen your faith. And I always thought that was great and I used that a lot. And I use that as a motive for people to get involved in mission. I'm like, well, just get involved in mission. It will really deepen your faith. And I realized that, down the road, I'm realizing that, well, that can't be the primary motive for people to get involved. Just so that their own faith is deepened. That can be an effect of being involved. And again, it's a great thing that our faith is deepened and strengthened. We need that. We need to have our faith strengthened and deepened. But it can't be my primary motive or a desire for adventure that God has planted in your heart. I know uh, walking on waters is an organization, and I love them. They they do a great job. They're surfers going around the world, and they share the gospel. They've been in our area in Spain a little bit. We have you have surfers here. We have you know you have ministry opportunities up in Basque Country. Just just check your motives before we soon get to the primary. <laughs> But, but God plans this, the decipher adventure, more in, in some people than others, and I think that can be God given. You can be an adventurous person, you head into a situation that others wouldn't go into. Now, I many times, I ended up in working in the Caribbean with a, this ship, some in, and, and I ended up zooming out in some areas where I should absolutely not have been, I realized afterwards. I was sharing tracks and chatting to people and sharing the gospel and, and uh, then they turned it turned out afterwards that usually if a white walked through that neighborhood they would be killed and they would they would assume the white person had money, which I didn't, so I guess I maybe they knew that I had just tracks, I don't know. They weren't that interested in what I had maybe. But but I just walked through that and I got used it though. I met people and I had great conversation and I had actually people uh committing to Christ and I tried to connect them to a church and I tried I Did what I could do with the time I had, but but that desire of adventure cannot again be the motive for getting involved. It can be something that helps us and something that God has planted in us that helps us take the step to get involved. We're adventurous, but so what are then the fundamental motives when you want to get involved in mission? I think God's love and compassion is one of them. I'm going to mention two fundamental motives god's love and compassion is one of the fundamental motives for you to get involved in missions and it's that you we know that god loved and it was this love god loved the world and we know that this love motivated him to minister within human cultures the human culture his god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son his only unique son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life but we realize that God so loved the world that he gave his only unique, one-of-a-kind son. And he raised up judges to deliver the Israelites. He instituted priests to in- intercede for the, for the kings and the and people of Israel. And, and he gave his son, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, to die for humankind. For God so loved the world that he gave his only unique son. And and this is the example for us, I think, that we follow his lead in this. Because he sends us, Father sent me, so am I sending you. And that's that's a fundamental motive for us to get involved. God so loved the world, and he had compassion on the people in the world, that uh, that we need to learn from him in following his lead in that, and realizing where he is at. And we also need to realize... That is a tear in God's heart when people turn away. Sometimes I don't... I think God... Uh, it's, it's hurtful for him to see when people turn away. And I like the... In Hosea 11, verse 8, when he says, speaking to the Israelites, How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma... How can I treat you like Zeboim? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. And this is when he's confronting the Israelites because they are rebellious. And we realize that it does. It's painful for God to see people rebelling against him. And... This tear and this pain, I think, is the same. It doesn't matter whether that's in Spain, Basque Country, or if it's here in Wilmington, North Carolina. It's it's the same pain for God to see people turning away. And um, because Christ died for all, Paul says then in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 through 15, that we can no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died for us and was raised again. We can no longer live for ourselves, but for Him who died for us and was raised again. So, if we live for Him, we have to try to line our own hearts with God's heart, heart's desire. And um, we see that that we have to turn around and we love. In First One John four nineteen, it says, "We love because He first loved us," and that's where we begin. We see we follow His lead. Of love and compassion. It's a fundamental motive for us to get involved in the mission. God did that. He sent his son. And we follow that lead. So we can love. Because he first loved us. You get your life transformed through the love of Christ. And also, a second motive would be an outpouring of thanksgiving. The giving back of what we have received. Most of you here have probably experienced a life-changing uh, transformation of, of God in your life. You have received Christ as your Lord and Savior. But you should give back thanksgiving to Him. You should, you need to remind yourself of, of that, of that thankfulness you really have for what He saved you from. Or whether you really deserve to be If you really start thinking about it. And Paul, he says that if you speak because you believe, you will cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. If you speak because you believe, you will cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. In Second Corinthians chapter 4. I think many times, just like the Israelites, their identity reference point came back to the Exodus. The deliverance that God made for them over and over again. They, they, they come back there and look at yeah, but look at this experience. This is who we are. We are God's people that were delivered. We can be His people because He took us out of where we were at. Slavery. And we need to remember that too. As believers. We need to come back often. Look back. But look, my identity lies in that in this salvation, in this deliverance that I have received from God, He's taking me out of that slavery, the oak of sin, this, this, um, destiny that I was, that I was in, and He's made me a new person. I've taken on the new man. And that needs to be our constant reference point, our identity as believers, and coming back and, and reminding ourselves of that. Who am I? I am that person that was delivered. I am that person that was delivered. And if somebody is here and have not re- re- experienced that deliverance, I'd, it would be a great time to talk to some of the leaders of the church if you want to know more. And, and, because there's nothing as great, as important in your life as, as that deliverance of accepting Jesus Christ to deliver you from, from uh, an eternal destiny that, of destruction. So we need to then look back at whatever was my this summary here. Whatever I talked about. I put in a lot of stuff, maybe. Sometimes you come one, get to preach one time. I don't get, you know, five sermons to do a series here. So I do five sermon series in 40 minutes. But um, we see that this, the, the deliverance of the Israelites is their identity. Starting Moses, seeing that it's God's. Heart's desire to really uh, see missions happen. To send and save people. That is where God is at. And we can see that that stems from his heart. And our call is to sacrificially give our lives in his hands. We remember that he, send, he who saved us is also sending us. you remember that. And that when we go, we go in his power. We do not go in our own power And this is also what assures us of success in ministry. Because it's not my superhero powers that can do it. It is the superhero powers of God that will transform lives and make the end of the story a success story. My life must not be the super success story, but I know that my life will be part of God's success story. And it doesn't matter how big my story, what it looks like with our earthly perspective. The important part is that I fill that spot that God had prepared for me. And if our mo- mo- uh, motives for mission are, are uh, self-centered, we know they're not biblical. Our motives to get involved in mission should really be focused on God. That I want to follow His lead. I want to reflect that love and that compassion that I have experienced from Him. Or thanks, or not pouring on my thanksgiving for that He has. Delivered me and freed me. And I want to bring that, be a messenger of that deliverance to other people. So we need to follow his lead and give thanksgiving for salvation. And these are the two fundamental motives when we get involved. And, and then we need to always question, come back and question ourselves. How is this reflected in my life? And can I, what can I do to align my heart more day by day, my daily life, to... To serve God's heart's desire, to to go out and be a messenger of deliverance to the people that I meet in the store, or the people that I work with, or maybe, should I be called to go to another country, another culture? And it is his heart that is the basis and not ours. In John 3.16, he says, he gave his only... And then in Matthew 28:18, to come back to the famous missions passage, after all, can finish off where we started. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus says. Therefore, you go. The authority was given to Jesus, therefore we can go because he's sending us the same way that his father sent him. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your presence with us as we serve you. Thank you for your empowerment. And thank you that we can just keep on striving to serve you even when we sometimes fail. We are not perfect. and We don't feel like success stories. We feel even inadequate sometimes for certain situations. But Lord, we know that We're serving you, a God of power, and a God that can do miracles. You can even use people like me. God, I thank you for that. Help us to take steps to see how we can serve you and align our hearts with that, Father. So that we can see great worshipers created, reached, and more people before your throne. Worshipping and adoring you. Thank you Lord for your sacrifice for all of us. Thank you for the cross. In Jesus name. Amen.